The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you weren't able to be with us last week, we began a new series, our first series for 2019, and it's simply entitled Rooted. And the goal of this series is for us to see what we are rooted in here at Shades. You may have been here for a very long time. You may be rather new. You may be very new. This may be your first Sunday here. But what we are doing is trying to take a step back for just a moment and see why do we do what we do? Like everything that we do here at Shades, why why do we do it? What's its purpose? What's its goal? What is it all rooted in? And so last week, in answer to that question, we simply explored our purpose statement. Like if we dig down to the bottom of of everything we do, this is our purpose in which we are rooted. Check this out. Isn't that fun? I promise I won't use it too much. All right. What's our purpose? Glorifying God by loving Him loving others, and making disciples among all people. So one of our elders, uh, Andrew Thompson, actually designed, he's a graphic designer, and he designed this mark that you see right up here at the top, and he designed it to help us visualize the things that we're going to be talking about during our series. And what I hope you notice immediately, it kind of looks like an ancient symbol, which works well for us, but I hope what you notice immediately right at the center of it is the cross. Right at the center of it, you'll see the the cross, and we're going to talk about that more in just a moment, but I hope that you also will notice, you may not until I show it to you, but the simple outline of a tree, the ground, the trunk, the top, maybe like a child would draw like an apple tree. I hope you notice the outline of, of a tree, because for years now, we have used the image of a tree to talk about being rooted in our purpose. And so this image is meant to remind us that we are rooted in this purpose, glorifying God by loving him, loving others, making disciples among all peoples. But this image is not only meant to remind us that we are rooted in this purpose, but it's also meant to remind us how, how we are rooted in this purpose. That's what we're going to spend the rest of this series talking about. How is everything that we do as a body at Shades How is it rooted in glorifying God by loving him, loving others, and making disciples among all peoples? I believe there's actually a really simple answer to that question. And the simple answer to how we are going to stay rooted in this purpose is by being gospel-centered. That's why the cross is at the center of this mark, to remind us that ultimately what keeps us rooted in our purpose is being centered on the gospel. It's through being centered on the gospel that we're going to glorify God. I wish I had time to take us through all these texts, but all I'll do is list them for you. It's through being centered on the gospel that we will be glorifying God. Just read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's through being centered on the gospel that we are going to be growing in love for God and love of others. Just read 1 John chapter 4. And it's through being centered on the gospel that we're going to be equipped to make disciples among all peoples. Just read 2 Timothy chapter 2. How are we going, like a tree, how are we going to be rooted in this purpose? By being centered on the gospel through all that we do. Through all of our worship, we're going to be centered 
on the gospel. Through all of our serving, we're going to be centered on the gospel. Through all of our community, we're going to be centered on the gospel. And through all of our mission, we're going to be centered on the gospel. That's everything that we do here at Shades. Worship, serving, community, mission. And it's all meant to keep us centered on the gospel so that we remain rooted in our purpose. I want us to take the rest of our time this morning and the next three weeks to see how that works. To see how worship, serving, community, mission, Keep us centered on the gospel so that we remain rooted in our purpose. When you see this mark, my hope is what you think is that we are centered on the gospel through worship, serving, community, and mission. In Shades, we are centered on the gospel. This is what keeps us rooted. We're centered on the gospel through worship, serving, community, mission. So for the rest of this morning, I just want us to look at worship. Just, just worship. What we do When we gather here together as a body week after week to worship, glorify, magnify, praise God, to see what God has done in Christ, to say what God has done in Christ, to celebrate what God has done in Christ. That's worship. I I want us to see how the things we do together keep us centered on the gospel. And to answer that question, we're going to be in two texts this morning. Here's the deal. We're going to be in two texts because there is no one text in your entire New Testament that's like, here's how worship keeps you centered on the gospel. There's no chapter in your Bible you can turn to that's going to say, here's what you should do on Sundays when you gather together as a church. What we do is a distillation of what we see taught all throughout the New Testament. And we can't possibly cover everything the New Testament has to say about worship. So I want to take us to two texts that get really explicit. Two texts where the Apostle Paul is explicitly talking about what Christians should be doing when they gather together for worship. And he's going to talk about them in a way that shows how they center us on the gospel. So you're already at our first text, which is 1 Timothy 3. Let's begin reading together in verse 14 to see how our worship keeps us centered on the gospel. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon. He's talking to Timothy, who he sent to Ephesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Like when you all get together, here's what that should look like. I'm writing you in case I'm not there in time to share this with you in in person. So that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul has sent this young man, Timothy, that he's been pouring into. He sent him to this troubled church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is in Asia Asia Minor for all you geography buffs. That's modern-day Turkey. And this false teaching, several false teachings actually, had been creeping into the church at Ephesus. And so Paul sends Timothy there to help get them back on track, like to help recenter them on the gospel. And so Paul points out right here at the beginning that that is exactly what the church ought to be. The church of the living God centered on the gospel. Is that not what he says? He says the church ought to be a pillar and buttress, better translation I think right there would be a rampart. These are architectural terms. Pillars, a piece of architecture that supports, holds something up. A rampart is a defending wall. A pillar 
and a rampart of the truth. Whenever Paul says the truth, that's a synonym for the gospel. Don't believe me? Just look back at chapter, chapter 2 and verse 14. The gospel. So the church, Paul says, ought to be a pillar of the gospel, holding up the gospel before the world. The church ought to be a, a rampart, a defensive wall that protects the gospel from false teaching. The church, Paul says, ought to promote and protect the gospel, be on offense and defense with the gospel, be centered on the gospel. That's what it ought to be. And Paul says what, what helps the church be centered on the gospel is that there is a way that it ought to behave. It should act when it gathers together as the household of God. Not just when it's gathered, but he's specifically going to go after what they're doing when they're gathered. To help one another be centered on the gospel. There's a, there's a way the church ought to worship together. To keep them centered. How? Paul, he points us to two things right here in 1 Timothy 3 and 4. The church ought to be confessing the gospel and preaching the gospel. How do we keep our worship centered on the gospel? In our worship, we confess the gospel together and we preach the gospel. So let's take those one at a time. First, we confess the gospel. Look at verse 16. Paul says, great indeed, we confess. We, the church, here's our confession. We confess, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. That's another synonym for the gospel. He was manifested, Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That part of your text is probably set off as if it's poetry, because it is. Paul's quoting a piece of an ancient hymn. It's one of the most ancient confessions of the Christian faith that, that we have, and the early church used this. It's just part of it, but they used this when they gathered together for worship to confess what they believed. And if you look at it, it's just a summary of the gospel. Christ made manifest in the flesh, crucified dead. He was vindicated by the Spirit, risen from the dead, seen by witnesses, including angels, and now he's proclaimed throughout the world, even though he's ascended and reigned on high. It's a summary of the gospel. Paul's saying, Timothy, if you want to get Ephesus centered on the gospel, confess it together. But continually confess what it is that you believe. You want to protect, you want to hold up the gospel, promote it like a pillar, protect it like a rampart, confess this thing. Continually together. If you look down in chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul's going to tell Timothy to regularly put these things before the church. These things, the gospel put it before, confess it together regularly. Later on in chapter 4, he's going to say, immerse yourselves in these things. And Timothy, you do that, you center on it by confessing it together. But not just confessing. Second thing that I said Paul tells Timothy that he want, if Ephesus is going to be centered on the gospel, here's the other thing you've got to do, preach the gospel. Look at chapter 4 and verse 13. We've got a ton to cover. I know I'm skimming the surface really fast. I'm sorry, we've got so much to go through, people. He's got to preach the gospel. Look at chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself. Give yourself continually. To what? To the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. 
That's Paul's definition of preaching. Like if you don't believe me, read 2 Timothy chapter 4. He uses the exact same words to explicitly talk about what Timothy's supposed to do. Preach the gospel. When you gather together as the church, here's what you devote yourself to, Timothy. Read the scriptures out loud. Then exhort people passionately. Exhort. Exhortation is an encouragement, a passion. Exhort people to live in line with this word that you've read. And if you want them to live in line with the word that you've read, Timothy, you got to teach them what it means. Read, teach, exhort people with the word. They got preach the gospel. How can we keep, how can, how can worship keep us gospel centered? When we gather together for worship, we confess the gospel and we preach the gospel. Do we do this here at Shades? I believe we do this exactly. How? How? We do these things here at Shades through something that we call the four streams. How many of you have heard us use four streams terminology before? Okay, so for some of you this is new. Many of you know this. When we talk about the four streams at Shades, we're talking about four great streams of Christian tradition. Okay, we're not talking about four denominations. We're talking about four streams of Christian tradition that any denomination fits into one or more of these. Every Christian fits into one or more of these. All right, if you have been anywhere other than Shades, you have probably been in a church that fits in one, maybe two of these streams. And these different streams approach worship together differently. The four streams are as follows, the orthodox stream, the evangelical stream, the liturgical stream, and the charismatic stream. All denominations, all churches, all Christians fit into one or more of those. And each of these streams, like I said, it approaches worship a little bit differently. And because of that, each of us tends to be most comfortable in our own stream. I grew up in the evangelical stream. I know that stream. I know the temperature of the water. This is why we use stream language. I know the temperature of the water. I know, I know where it's deep and where it's shallow. I can read the currents. It's comfortable to me. When I go to a liturgical stream, it feels weird, people. I don't know how to swim in that stream. I'm not used to it. Most of us are comfortable in our own stream with the worship practices that we are used to. But here at Shades Valley, all four streams are present. This may be why there are things that happen when we gather for worship that feel normal and comfortable to you. And there may be other things that you're like, what is happening? And why? Because all four of these streams are present. Why are all four of them present? Because there was a point in our history where we realized God had brought us people from all four streams. We actually do belong to a denomination here at Shades Valley. We were part of the Evangelical Free Church in America. How many of you grew up in the Evangelical Free Church in America? One. If you grew up at Shades, it doesn't count. <laughs> I think there's like two or three of you that have ever even attended another one, okay? I didn't grow up in the EFCA. Brad didn't. John Mark didn't. Ed's our lone, lone representative over here. 
Most of us didn't. Most of us come from a whole host of variety of different backgrounds. God brought us, for whatever reason, people from all four streams. And what Shades did in its history is instead of rejecting that, we began to ask, how can each stream point us to Christ? How can each stream and the way that they approach worship, how can that help keep us gospel-centered? Well, first, the orthodox stream. The orthodox stream emphasizes the church historical. If you grew up within the orthodox stream, you grew up in a church that probably emphasized church history and embraced lots of practices from church history. I did not grow up in this stream. I was not aware there was such a thing as church history. I thought there was Acts 28 and then my church. I learned about this thing called the Protestant Reformation in my public high school world history class. Orthodox stream emphasizes the church historical, that we stand in this long line of believers that have gone before us, and we still confess the historical faith once, delivered all, once for all delivered to the saints. The Orthodox stream emphasizes confessing the gospel together. Is that not what Paul just told Timothy Ephesus needed to do? In order for their worship to be gospel-centered, they needed to confess the gospel together. This gospel that they had believed on, this gospel that was being passed from person to person to generation to generation, they didn't need to veer from it, go off from it. They needed to stay true to what had been delivered to them. And didn't Paul even give us a model confession that sounds a lot like the confessions the Orthodox stream still recites every week? Confessions like the Apostles' Creed. Confessions like the Nicene Creed. At Shades, we embrace the Orthodox stream through various historical practices. Things such as passing the peace. Mike jokingly mentioned that people who are a little bit more introverted have been tortured with that throughout the centuries. He's right. It's a historical practice of, of the church. We embrace various historical practices such as passing the peace or observing some historical seasons like Lent or Advent that we just observed. We embrace the Orthodox stream through the arts it shades. Throughout the history of the church, the church has confessed the gospel together through the use of the arts. I mean, for a while, if you've ever studied art history, art history and church art history are almost the same thing for a certain period of time. The church confessed the gospel together through the arts and and modern Protestant churches, which we're a part, have tend to veer away from that in almost everything but music. We're scared if somebody paints something, somebody's going to pray to it. So we veered away from all of it, but it shades. We try to re-embrace the arts. We embrace all of these historical practices as a way of confessing we're a part of the church historic. The church that has always confessed the gospel. And week after week, we confess it with them through song, through passing the peace, through prayer, through the arts. And even sometimes we do recite one of the creeds here together at Shades. The Orthodox stream helped keep us centered on the gospel because it keeps us confessing the Orthodox faith. It keeps us confessing the gospel. But Paul didn't just instruct Timothy to have the church at Ephesus confess the gospel. No, he said to remain gospel-centered, you need to confess the gospel, but you also need to what? Preach. I got two of you with me. Preach the gospel. And at Shades Valley, 
It is the evangelical stream that keeps us gospel-centered in this way. The evangelical stream, if you grew up in that, the evangelical stream, like I did, it emphasizes the proclamation of the word, the proclamation of the gospel. You can tell if you grew up in the evangelical stream as soon as you walk into your church's sanctuary. Because the pulpit will be the largest piece of furniture in the room, and it will be right in the middle. That's not by mistake. You can tell a lot about churches by the way they organize their space. And that's not by mistake. It's to emphasize the importance, the centrality of the preach word, which is one of the things Paul said helps keep us gospel-centered. And so, at Shades Valley, we embrace the evangelical stream primarily through the way that we approach our time in this word. Our pulpit may not be the largest piece of furniture in the center of the room, but that is meant to say something about the preacher, not about the word being preached. Our pulpit isn't in the center because I or any other preacher, we don't take center stage here. We stand to the side and we point to the one who does take center stage, Christ. The most explicit symbols we have of Christ's presence among us are the table and the cross. Christ alone, Jesus gets center stage, not Jonathan. But just because the pulpit isn't large and central doesn't mean that the preached word isn't large and central to our worship here. It is. And that's why it gets a large emphasis right in the center of our time of worship. The the preached word is the heart, Shades. It's the heart of our worship. It's not separate from our worship. It's the heart of it. Each week, we don't come together in this space and worship some and then stop, hear a sermon, and then after that, we get to worship some more. No, the preached word is worship. It's the heart of our worship, for it beats pumping the lifeblood of the gospel into everything else we do. Without this word, we have nothing to sing. Without this word, we don't know how to pray. Without this word, we don't even know what communion is about. This word is the Holy Spirit means by which the Spirit reveals Christ to us in all of His glory. And when we see Him, our hearts beat in worship. The evangelical stream keeps us gospel-centered because it keeps us preaching the gospel. This is why you don't get self-help here each Sunday. Because I really don't think self-help will help you at all. The gospel tells me that we cannot help ourselves. We need a Savior. And this is what we aim to give you by keeping us gospel-centered through this word. How will our worship keep us gospel-centered? Through continually confessing the gospel and through continually preaching the gospel. We do that at Shades through the practices from the orthodox stream and the evangelical streams. And at this point, you may be thinking, Jonathan, you said there were four streams and you've only done two. That is correct. There are two more streams because there are two more things we need to see 
about how worship keeps us gospel-centered. To see those, though, we have to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. So if you'll flip over with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. So again, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and again, he is writing to a troubled church, this time the church in Corinth, Greece. And they're having a ton of issues. But specifically, what we're looking at is two issues that they are having when they gather together for worship. They're they're struggling with two things that should be, should be keeping them centered on the gospel. But they're having issues with those. What, What are these two things? Celebrating the gospel and bearing witness to the gospel. They're having issues celebrating the gospel and bearing witness to the gospel. They are actually using these things to center on themselves. And Paul says, no, celebrating and bearing witness to the gospel, they should keep you centered on the gospel and the glory of Christ, not on you and your glory. Let's look at these things one at a time. First, celebrating the gospel. How's the church at Corinth making celebrating the gospel all about themselves? Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20. Paul says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Is this something they were to be celebrating when they gather together? And Paul says, Psh, you may be acting like that's, what, but that's not what you're doing. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For, here's why, in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. And one goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? You just see like Paul being exasperated. I just picture him like beating his head against the wall at this point. This is how I read the Bible, people. Another gets, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So eating the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, it's meant, this, this table is meant to be a celebration of the gospel. Of the gospel. But the Corinthians are using it to celebrate themselves. They would separate themselves from, according to socioeconomic class, rich from poor. And they'd make sure that the food each one got represented that social status. So some people had nothing, while others gorged themselves to the point of drunkenness. They used this meal to show off their social status, but this meal was meant to reveal their kingdom status, in which they are all equal, sharing the same treasure, Christ. This meal declares that because of the body, the bread broken, because of the blood, the cup poured out, Because of the body and blood of Jesus, we have peace with God. We get to come to his table. We get to eat with him. We're at peace with him. Eating with somebody is a symbol of being at peace with somebody. You don't think so? Try to eat with somebody you're not at peace with. Even children know that eating together means you're at peace together. What's the number one insult a child can hurl at another child? You're not invited to my birthday. Like it's the one meal they have control over. And they know we're not good. No cake and ice cream together. This meal is meant to declare that because of the broken body and the poured out blood of Christ, we are at peace with God. We can have communion with him, eat at his table. And it declares that we are at peace with each other. 
We come to this table together. We take this meal together as brothers and sisters in Christ, equal members in God's family. This table declares that we are united with God and united with each other. That we are participants in the body of Christ. That we all belong to the body of Christ. We belong to him as our head and to one another as individual members of the body of Christ. This meal celebrates the gospel and what it's accomplished. And Paul calls the Corinthians back to this celebration centered on Jesus. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. You proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the gospel through this meal. You celebrate the gospel through this meal until he comes. Again, the table keeps us centered on the gospel for the gospel is, for the gospel is what it proclaims to us week after week. Christ crucified for our peace with God and with one another. Here, we stay centered on the gospel by celebrating the gospel. But the table, celebrating the gospel, that was only one of the things that Corinth was having an issue with, not centering it on Christ, but centering it on themselves. What is the other thing? I told you that it's bearing witness to the gospel. They were, they were distorting bearing witness to the gospel. Look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, now means after I've discussed the table with you. We've got that issue out of the way. Let's go to issue number two. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul turns his attention to spiritual gifts, which we're going to talk about a lot next week when we talk about serving. But right now what we need to see, he turns his attention to spiritual gifts, which simply put are ways that the Holy Spirit empowers believers to bear witness to Christ. That's going to be his point throughout this whole thing. These are individual, various ways the Holy Spirit is at work in your life to empower you to point other people to Jesus. Not to empower you so that you look cool, good, and spiritual and gain accolades amongst the church for yourself. No, the Holy Spirit empowers you to edify, to build up others, the church, to point them to, to Christ. That's what Paul harps on in verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord. Point to Christ. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can truly have encountered Christ, embraced Christ, and be empowered to bear witness to Christ unless the Holy Spirit of God is doing that work in them. This is what Paul wants us to understand at the beginning, right here of this discussion. This is what he wants us to understand that the Spirit does. He empowers you to say Jesus is Lord. He empowers you to glorify Christ. Jesus himself told us that's what the Spirit does. John chapter 16 and verse 14, as Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, here's what he says his primary work will be. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus. He's going to open your eyes to encounter me. He's going to empower your faith to embrace me. And he's going to empower you to bear witness to me. He will glorify me. Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ by revealing him to us and then revealing him through us. 
empowering us in a million unique and different ways to bear witness to the gospel. But the Corinthians were attempting to use the Holy Spirit's empowerment to glorify themselves. Like there were certain spiritual gifts that they were elevating as being more spiritual than others, most specifically speaking in tongues. And so those people were being lifted up as super awesome Christians, while others were being looked down upon. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was never meant to bear witness to anyone's glory but Jesus's. So Paul calls the Corinthians back to Holy Spirit empowerment centered on Christ. He calls them to bear witness to Jesus, to the gospel. The Spirit keeps us gospel-centered because when He empowers us, He empowers us to bear witness to the gospel. Shades, worship keeps us gospel-centered because when we gather for worship, we celebrate the gospel and we bear witness to the gospel. Do we do this? It shades. How, how do we do this? We do it through the final two streams of Christian tradition, the liturgical stream and the charismatic stream. First, the liturgical stream. The liturgical stream emphasizes the participation of the congregation in celebrating the gospel. The liturgical stream emphasizes participation of the con congregation. The word liturgy, it doesn't mean boring, rote routines that we all go through. It means literally the work of the people. A, a liturgical church engages the congregation as much as possible through things like corporate readings or corporate prayers. It's trying to involve the congregation in participation of celebrating the gospel. And the high point of any liturgical service is the table. This is the point at which we are all most explicitly involved in celebration of the gospel. If you grew up in the liturgical stream, I'm willing to bet the table was the largest piece of furniture in the room. And it was right dead in the in the center because this is the high point of our participation in celebrating the gospel. And so for us at Shades, it is through the table primarily that we embrace the liturgical stream. There are other things that we do from this stream, like we do, we do a call to worship together, we do a benediction together, but the table is our liturgical anchor because the table anchors us in the gospel. How? Every week, my sermon has to end here. It's got to organically connect to the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ poured out to reconcile you to God so that you get him as your joy forever. That's the gospel. And if my sermon cannot organically connect to that, something's wrong. Like I'm preaching something other than the gospel. This table helps keep me gospel, or anyone preaching, gospel-centered. Not just me, it keeps us gospel-centered. When you come to this table... You get to celebrate the realities that we have seen in the Word. We've really seen something here, and now we really get to celebrate it. What we've seen, we've seen that we have peace with God through Christ, so we come to celebrate peace with God through Christ. We come to this table to really actually commune with Him by faith. 
shades. Like, the truths of the gospel, that you are at peace with God through Christ. Don't just know those truths with your head. Don't even just feel them with your heart. No, come experience them with your whole being. Come touch and taste the truth that Christ has died for you. Come celebrate the gospel. The liturgical stream helps keep us centered on the gospel because it keeps us celebrating the gospel. But Paul didn't just call the Corinthians back to celebrating the gospel. No, for them to be gospel, for their worship to be centered on the gospel, to keep them centered on the gospel, they also needed to be bearing witness to the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it shades. It's the charismatic stream that helps keep us gospel-centered in this way. The charismatic stream emphasizes the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship for magnifying Jesus. The charismatic stream emphasizes the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in worship for magnifying Jesus. The charismatic stream, it, it emphasizes how the Spirit works freely. Freedom is a huge emphasis in the charismatic stream. I can always I can always tell if I talk to somebody, it's like their first time at Shades. I can always tell what stream they come from based upon how they talk about their experience at Shades. For instance, someone who comes from the charismatic stream is like, hey, you know, I mean, it's kind of reserved. It's kind of calm. Everybody laughing is from like a liturgical or evangelical stream <laughs> because people from that stream will be like, it's a little chaotic. It's kind of you know, out there. Really know what's going on. Charismatic stream emphasizes how the Spirit freely works in a variety of ways through everybody in the body to bear witness to the gospel. So space in the charismatic stream is important. Space is provided for the Spirit to work freely through individual people in the body. People have freedom to express themselves in worship. There's, there's freedom for people to be led by the Spirit to pray, uh, to share a testimony or a prophetic word, all in accordance with this word. Okay? The Holy Spirit, I want to say that as we talk about some of you who come from backgrounds like mine get scared when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. All right? Everything the Holy Spirit does, He does in accordance with this word because He inspired this word. And so he only empowers things that are in line with this word. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37. Paul says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you as a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul says, I don't care how spiritual somebody looks or how spiritual what they're doing looks, if it doesn't submit to the written word inspired by the Spirit of God, then it's not from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit freely works through us in ways that line up with this word to bear witness to the gospel. And so, at Shades, we embrace this freedom of the Spirit in a number of ways. Uh, there's freedom to worship here. There's freedom to, to stand in worship. There's freedom to sit. You may notice you don't get a lot of stand up, sit down instructions. It's because we want to provide freedom to stand 
And bear witness to the joy that the Spirit has filled your heart with or the freedom to sit. And say that there is space within the gospel when you need to sit and just hear the truth sung or spoken over you. In the church that I grew up in, if we were all singing a song and we're all seated down and one person stood up, it created this like obligation. I don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all grew up in the same church. Created this obligation for everybody in the room to stand, right? So by the end of the song, everybody would be standing. You can't pull that off at Shades. Like, you want to stand, you stand, everybody's like, that's cool. There's real freedom. Freedom to be expressive or not. Freedom to stand or, or not. There's freedom to wave a flag. Uh, some of you may have noticed that we have flags on the back wall right as you come in. They're available to use during worship. That comes from the charismatic stream and from Scripture. Flags or banners as they are more commonly called in the word. They were used by God's people in worship. They were used to symbolize different truths. And our, our flags, their colors symbolize different truths. That symbolism, if you want to know what it is, it's printed on a sign that's backed by the flags on the back wall. As a side note right here, the flags have actually become a really awesome way for our children to be involved in the celebration of worship. That's probably the way most of you have seen them used here. It's a way for them to bear witness to the gospel, to the joy of the gospel. So there's all these different ways, different practices for freedom, for the Spirit to move from the charismatic stream, but probably I would say the largest representation of the charismatic stream in our sanctuary is actually this microphone. This microphone, I don't know if you've noticed, but even when I get done preaching, I set it back here. Like, this microphone is always here, and it's always here, and it's always open as a reminder to us that the Spirit can lead anyone in this body to bear witness to the glory of God and the gospel. You can lead anyone to pray over this body, anyone to share a testimony or a word of encouragement. If the Spirit ever prompts you to share something with this body, find Ed, find me, find another one of our pastors, find one of our elders, share it with us, and we will find space for you empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to the gospel. This microphone's not up here for your own glory or anybody else's glory. It's not what that mic, that's not what this mic is about either, I hope. This mic's not about our own glory. Being expressive in worship isn't about our own glory. Flags aren't about our own glory. That's not what the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit is about the glory of Christ. And the Holy Spirit works through the people of God to bear witness to the glory of Christ in the gospel. That's what the Spirit does. That's how He keeps us gospel-centered through us. He empowers us to glorify Christ. The charismatic stream keeps us gospel-centered because it keeps us bearing witness to the gospel. So, these are the four streams. It shades orthodox, evangelical, liturgical, and charismatic. And we embrace elements from each of these streams. Hopefully all of these elements work together to keep us gospel-centered. And most likely, you're comfortable with some of these elements from your own stream. Probably not so much with other elements from other streams. But even that, even that is working to keep us gospel-centered. Because it makes us put Philippians 2 into practice. 
Philippians 2 and verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to describe how this is the mindset of Christ in the gospel. A self-sacrificial mindset for the good of the other. The four streams help us to embody this gospel mindset. Sacrificing oneself for the sake of others. It makes us show one another the kind of sacrificial love that has been shown to us. Because the four streams prevent us, prevent me, from making worship all about ourselves and our own preferences. It makes us humble ourselves, knowing that the things that we experience in worship that may not be important to us, they're important to others and important in pointing them to the gospel. Mike, who clearly hates the passing of the peace, hate maybe a little strong, doesn't prefer. But for some of you, this is, this is what ministers to your heart every week, to have somebody else look you in the eyes and say, peace of Christ with you. You need to hear that week after week. And what ministers to Mike may not minister to you at all. But this forces us to humble ourselves and have a gospel mindset towards one another. It forces us to humbly learn from each other. You can learn from one another and learn from each other's streams. I've learned so much in the past seven years at Shades from other streams. In embracing all four streams helps keep us centered on the gospel by making us live out its self-sacrificial love every time we gather. This, Shades, this is how our worship keeps us gospel-centered at Shades. We embrace the four streams so that we continually confess the gospel, preach the gospel, celebrate the gospel, and bear witness to the gospel. Such gospel-centeredness grows our love for God, our joy in Him. It, it fills us with love for others. It equips us to go and make disciples all for the glory of God. You see how gospel-centeredness keeps us rooted in our purpose. So we pray, Lord, grant that all of our worship will always be rooted and centered on your gospel. Amen.